apparently the end credits of the new Pokemon game have an Ed Sheeran song playing over them. And so the first, because apparently there are mods for, I don't know if they're mods for like ROM hacks or whatever, but apparently there are mods for the Pokemon games somehow. And the first one that came out is Remove Sheeran, which just takes the Ed Sheeran music out of the credits. The wildest thing about that to me is that there's a mod for the Pokemon game. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, that that one was really confusing to me, but I didn't really have time to look into it to understand. Po- this Pokemon Scarlet and Violet mod removes all traces of Edgerine from the game. <laughs> Reshade is a program that runs on this PC. Unfortunately, this mod cannot be installed on the Switch. Can people emulate the Switch? They must be able to. I mean, the Switch is old now and also low-powered, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah, but... It's also a Nintendo thing, and they're... Right, very proprietary, yeah. very secretive. They don't like people messing with their hardware. I wish mods were like more accepted in Nintendo like they are in Steam, because I think a lot of the mods that Steam has are pretty cool, like all the Slayer the Spire stuff. Yeah. I've tried several Slayer the Spire mods, and though I don't think any of them are that great, they are cool. Like It's cool that people can do mm-hmm. it. Yes, I appreciate Video game mods for sure. I loved playing Project M, which was just when Brawl was the Smash Brothers game on the Wii. Mm-hmm. They just made it melee because yeah, melee is a better that. engine. <laughs> and that was honestly probably my favorite Smash game to date because people were very, very, very passionate about that. I, you've seen the motorcycle legendaries, right? No. Oh wow. So the like, I don't know if they're like the box legendaries or if you like get them early or something, because every like every video that I've seen from it, like they are riding their legendary, but the legendaries are like motorcycle shaped. So one of them just like has wheels and you ride it like a motorcycle and the other one has wheels, but then it has these goofy legs and it runs on its legs, but it just has these like wheels that don't do anything. But it both there's two motorcycle Pokemon in the game. That's absolutely incredible. I know we've had inanimate objects from the very beginning of Pokemon, but... And, like, we've had a a whole evolutionary line that's just a bowl of ice cream, but somehow the motorcycle Pokemon, like, really, like, transcends the rest. Okay, it's an ice cream cone, first of all. It evolves into a sundae, (laughs) so let's get that straight. (laughs) But it's just an ice cream dessert the entire time. Yeah, of course. Like, it's not going to branch out of its lane. I mean, it's more faithful to its true essence the the bag of garbage that evolves into a larger bag of garbage yeah, that's just a callback to grimer right who evolves into a larger pile of sludge <laughs> it really is but the fact that like the bag is part of it is really you know just a, a little too anthro informed i well, guess see, i i like those garbage pokemon and the ice cream pokemon more than like the new cat pokemon the green one, Sprigatito. Uh, love that name, by the way. Because... Yeah, it's it's good. It just starts... It's a cute little cat, and then it just gets up on its legs and is a person at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like, all right, I, I was promised a cat. Anytime a starter starts on four legs and ends up on two legs, it like usually goes badly. I didn't mind Cyndaquil. Felt like he was like two, two and a half legs. I guess that's true, but it still was, I it's only like rearing up on two legs, really. Like, it, you know, it's not like a person, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just a, it's just an anteater that's like standing up. It's not like cat to 
all right, you're an anthro cat now. <laughs> right. Like, if Bulbasaur ever was turned into a two-leg thing, like, that would be an utter disaster. That's the only disappointing part to me. So, Ice Cream Clone Snowman Pokemon, <laughs> excellent. I cannot remember its name. Yes. It'll come to me in, like... Motorcycle Pokemon. I actually love those. Those sound great. I, no, I'm down. I, I love it. Also, uh, Foy Coco. The little alligator. The, like, fire starter. Definitely one of the best starters in a number of generations, and, like, almost enough to get me to pick the game up. I have heard, actually, really weird things about the game i've heard it's extremely good gameplay wise except for there's a bunch of performance issues yeah i've heard that too i don't know i tried playing through pokemon reborn which was a mod like the people made mm-hmm. the game difficult and it's good except it's too limiting to what pokemon is like you don't get any money and so you have very little access to pokeballs and there's a million pokemon so you just can't catch all the pokemon before you move on to the next area oh and well, i don't that's like that like antithetical yeah. to the concept of but pokemon, the writing yeah. is good and the like pacing is good it's just i i wanted to sure. catch them all and you're not letting me i i can't justify playing another pokemon game with like the combat system from 1996 still at the core of the game <laughs> Like, I, just I wish the entire Pokemon franchise was double, was double battling. I think that's way more fun than single battle. It is a lot more fun. But it's still... I mean, I, I guess if you are able to take like the simple characters and make the combat interesting by making it double battles, I guess that could and be... The combat's kind of the worst part of the Pokemon good, games but anyway. Just, so I don't mind yeah, it being like... But you spend a lot of time in combat. Well, yeah, that's how you get the grind on. <laughs> yeah. everyone, welcome to episode 270 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Rappel. With me is Lee McLeod. Illy. Hi, Chris. This is the first episode where you are back from the regional championship in Atlanta. I know, and we're not going to do our little stolen segment and go over all the Pioneer updates. I mean... We can talk about regionals a little bit, but we're not going to go too deep into the format itself or anything like that. Uh, we can save like a format breakdown wrap up, I guess, for next time. I just want to yeah. hear how your how your days were at, in Atlanta. No, it was fun. I I really enjoyed it. So who'd you go down with? Give me paint me a picture. Give me the story. All right. So went down with Collins and Chris and Collins's girlfriend. We drove down together got a place an airbnb which is kind of weird i mostly do hotels nowadays but you know atlanta is terrible just terrible generally (laughs) for visiting and you know like if you get a hotel then you also have to pay like 35 dollars a night for parking or whatever so the airbnb worked out better getting to dreamhack dreamhack was interesting i didn't really do much exploring the like floor itself it was kind of an odd setup because you go in and it's like there's like it's this whole esports thing and there's like literal like searchlights going around and there's <laughs> big TVs up with like skateboarding and stuff like that and then you like go to the right and you go to the magic section which has none of that which it doesn't need really any of that but it did really feel like someone had stuck a GP just into somebody else's party and it didn't really feel connected to 
the rest of the thing as a whole. And in particular, like, you know, there's the magic area, which is kind of open and has vendors and stuff. And then there's like an air wall. It's, you know, convention center, like the movable wall. And then there's a room that's like the main room that the regional championship was in. And that was just blank walls, overhead lighting, like no decorations, nothing. They didn't even have TVs in there with round timers at first. There was like one little TV with a round timer at one end of the hall. And then eventually people were like, I don't know how much time is left in the round. Can you please put something up? And they put a couple more up. So, you know, the experience part of it that I was actually kind of excited for. I was like, how do we do like, you know, how does an esports tournament organization put on a magic tournament and it's just like oh they just put on the same gp that i've been to several dozen times which is fine Uh, i don't really know what happened day one of regionals but the player meeting was 50 minutes long (laughs) what (laughs) like we sat down at 10 a.m and they were like passing stuff out, including our deck list, because we had to show our deck list to our opponent. And, and for some reason, we were just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And eventually it was 10.50 by the time they were like, okay, pairings for round one are up. And I don't really know what happened there, but that was the theme for the day. And we finished round nine at 10 p.m. or 10.15 or so, uh, which was not ideal. So that was a solid 12-hour, nine-round day one. And also they announced at the beginning of the tournament, all right, it's nine rounds day one and three rounds day two and then cut to top eight, which if you like start adding it up means that like only X ones make top eight. Uh, So then Huey, like everybody starts like murmuring and then you see Huey go like running down the length (laughs) of the hall to tell them like, no, you can't do that. And then they made a second announcement, which was it will be four rounds day two. So not a huge improvement, and it was all X2s that made top eight after that. So, you know, okay, I guess. Pretty weird structure. Like, a huge number of the people who made day two could not top eight, which is fine, I guess. But what was really the cutoff weird. for day two? 6-3. Uh, no, no X3s made top eight. They didn't just do X2s. Okay, that's unusual. Because X3s could top oh, 48, they're, they're, which qualifies yeah, you for the next Pro Tour. Pro Tour. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. They're just playing for qualifications at that point. Yeah. So I don't really know. So there was some weird stuff there. There was some cool stuff. They gave us each cute little name tags with, like, the store that we qualified at, which is kind of fun. And I, I think was – I appreciated it. The experience of the whole thing, it was just nice to be out and see people. And I got to – hang out with a bunch of people who I've only really interacted with online. And I didn't do as good of a job as I want to do in the future of, you know, reaching out and connecting with people and spending real time talking with people. It was much easier to just, you know, take breaks between rounds and talk with the people that I came to the tournament with and stuff. Tournament itself went fine. I lost the last round to not make day two. Uh, I think my deck choice was fine. Uh, If you like look back at you know, I think Frank Carson or somebody posted like win rates of the decks and like Phoenix had the best win rate of all of the major decks, the, the like primary archetypes. And I was comfortable with it. I felt like my plans were good. I went 3-0 against Mono Green, which was like the main thing that I was like, I got to beat Mono Green. This is why I'm playing this deck. 
but took a couple of losses early and then ran into like, you know, Arakto's mid-range opponent who was sideboarding Leyline of the Void. And then my last round was a blue-white opponent who, you know, I'm 5-3 going into the last round. Got to win this one to make day two. Pops up on my phone. Let's see what my opponent is playing. All right, blue-white control. Like, I know how to win this matchup. Let's look at their sideboard. And then their sideboard was uh, two rest in peace, three Narset, three Baneslayer angels, which is, <laughs> three you know. Three Baneslayer angels, Jesus. Well, one Lyra yeah, and two Baneslayer angels. And they assembled the one Lyra, one Baneslayer angel in play combo in turns, which I conceded because I, you know, yeah, was not, not that one. would not ever have beaten that no matter how turns, how many turns Six I had available Six toughness? To oh my goodness. Yeah, Lightning Axe doesn't kill that one then. Mm-mm. So, you know, tournament could have gone better. I probably could have played a little better, especially against my creativity opponent who beat me round two by hasting up to world spine worms on like turn five and 30ing me so i couldn't have won that game but potentially could have played better in the post board games where some of my cards actually do something but overall tournament experience was pretty fun the trip was really fun and i don't have a ton of complaints or anything certainly i hope that the actual tournament running goes a little more smoothly in the future and i also hope that They put a little more effort into the experience of it. Like going into the box room of the, you know, the main regional championship room and just seeing that the walls were like completely blank going all the way up and there was just nothing in there except for like one TV with a round timer on it that nobody could see. I just, it, it, it felt like so so much effort had gone into the presentation of the rest of the con and then just none into this. And it, it you know, felt kind of like an afterthought to the whole thing. That is unfortunate. But I am not super surprised about it. I mean, you know, magic tournaments have never been a- about aesthetics. So it's not like I showed up and was like, ugh, there's nothing here. <laughs> but it, it re- like it was the same gathering points from... Uh, you know there's a red gathering point here like it just looked like any other tournament you've ever been to which is fine that's what we've come to expect but i was like rubbing my hands together like what can somebody else do with this and it turns out uh the exact same thing everybody else has done with it as long as they're not gonna try so yeah yeah (laughs) i mean any any fun stories anything you can share on the podcast anything that's not you know too spicy I mean, nothing spicy happened. It was just a magic tournament weekend. We didn't like well, go to a strip club or anything like that. Well, I didn't mean uh, sure, but I meant like you know, you don't yeah. want to backtalk anyone in public. This is more no, of what I, I was going for. <laughs> I I see. Well, I, I don't know. There wasn't any. There wasn't even anything like that to you know. I, I I got no hate in my heart for anybody or anything like that. It was just good to see people. I don't have too many stories. I. I don't know. Collins and I sat down Friday night for like two hours or so and tested the Phoenix versus Gruel matchup. And then like round three of the tournament, I sat down across from a Gruel opponent. And then, I don't know, like it completely paid off. I knew exactly what to do. And I like basically could read my opponent's mind the whole time because I had played against Collins on the deck. So I just knew what cards were in my opponent's hand all game all match and that felt really good which means that i really need to figure out a way to do that with more decks beforehand and kind of get those 
those reads better on point. So maybe a little discovery about my preparation process. Okay. And then Sunday you cubed. Sunday cubed. Drafted a very good Sultai deck. Was slain by Chris in the finals of cube. Got to play with Ryan Donkin. Almost got to play... Like, we were a couple of texts, a couple of, like, different people showing up or choosing not to play. Uh, got to play cube with Ryan and Will Kruger and Doomwake all in all drafting the Mutate cube. But that didn't quite come together. But <laughs> maybe next time. Who, who'd you have that I, I guess that we would recognize? Uh, it was mostly our friends and uh, Ryan Donkin and some of his friends. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was fun. I, people were... People who had not drafted the Mutate Cube were, like, skeptical at first, and then as soon as they started, like, reading the cards they were taking, got very excited, very excited for the decks they were putting together. That's how it always goes. It's pretty funny. It's like, uh, Mutate's this garbage mechanic. I'm not even sure how it quite works. (laughs) But once you start playing with cards, it's really fun. I remember um, Will Will Kruger has even drafted the Mutate Cube before, and he (laughs) was also skeptical the same way, and he liked it. Yeah, so fun weekend. I really enjoyed it. Found out later that both Collins and Philip got COVID. I've been testing negative, so fingers crossed. The classic uh, con crud, but now in 2022. Yeah, but now it means that you like can't go anywhere for two weeks or whatever. Yeah, and you you know who knows what it's going to happen to your sense of taste or smell, or you just have lifetime brain fog or whatever. It's, it's, it's funner real, now. Real, real nice. <laughs> the stuff. stakes are a little higher. I don't know. I will probably think of stories as stuff reminds me of them, but, uh, you know, I don't have any at the forefront of my mind right now. Okay. I, I'll be looking forward to that because when, okay. when I get to go to events, I have, usually have a list of things I want to tell people and I practice <laughs> the stories because, you know, people want to know. I, I play it much more by ear. I let things like remind me of them and then I like craft them in the moment. Yeah. To each his own. I'm I'm not good in the moment. I gotta prepare. Mm. I don't know. I I like to think I'm like a natural storyteller, but I've definitely told, started some stories and then started sweating because I'm like, wait, I don't have a way to like make this good. This is a bad story. <laughs> I am certainly not a natural storyteller, but I think I'm pretty good at it just to, from practice. Mm-hmm. Well, shall we get into some of the new cards? We have kind of put off our set review a little bit to make room for other content, more pressing things, but. Uh, we can do our do our top fives this week. Yeah, so normal normal rules apply. We're just grabbing all the colors and then the mismatch at the end. Yeah, that's how I did it. Okay, perfect. So, and also any artifact that has a colored unearth cost or activation cost or whatever prototype cost just counts as the color that it's in because the set is like half artifacts. Still love that uh, little rosewater teaser. Only one colored artifact in the set, which is yeah, the reality anchor. And then it's like, there's a lot of colored artifacts in this set. I'm not playing Yoshin Frontliner if I'm not playing white. You're out of your mind. Did you know that that's the first card I was going to name on our list? I actually didn't, but I have looked at it. I've written that card's name down a bunch as I've been like trying to update cubes and stuff, and I like that card a lot. Yeah. So, I yeah, let's just jump into it. I guess I'm starting with white. My number five is Yoshin Frontliner. One mana. For an artifact creature soldier, 1-1. One, one. Whenever it attacks, another target creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn and unearth for a white. This just like has too many little things going for it for it not to do things somewhere. And maybe that's just it fills holes in cubes. 
But it's one mana, it's an artifact creature, it has a soldier creature type, it attacks for two if you've got another thing attacking, and it's got a very cheap unearth cost. There's just like all these little synergies that put it together, and I don't know where it goes except for just like in a soldier's deck in standard. But, you know, putting cards into your graveyard, this does unearth and attack and is like acceptable to draw if you're doing cheap creature stuff or cheap artifact stuff. It, it's just like so cheap at what it does. I, I think that this does things somewhere, somewhen. Yeah, I think it needs to be a synergy piece because that's what I've been looking for in cubes uh, because yeah. it's so cheap and it's an artifact creature and it works with like sacrifice standard. Like it's got graveyard active stuff mm-hmm. and it, there's just a lot you can do with it. It's really good material, uh, yeah. even if like the creature isn't that great. It is a pretty weird color identity for most of the stuff you would want to do with a creature like this. Yeah, but if you can, like, even if you're just white, blue soldiers, it is a soldier. And having just a pump effect on it, making it a 2-2, makes it good enough with all the other stuff it's got going on. Yeah, I mean, a one drop that after they kill it, at some point you can pay one mana to deal two extra damage is, like, pretty nice. Yeah, it has the little exalted thing, too, where... Mm -hmm. It doesn't really just buff damage. It also makes one of your creatures harder to kill in combat, mm-hmm. uh, which is not to be overlooked, especially if you are doing a soldiery thing where the body of the ocean frontliner actually matters. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just like suiciding into their team as you're buffing something else up. Yeah, I really like this guy. I like his little stormtrooper helmet. Just cheap and effective. My next one is the opposite of that. It is platoon dispenser. This is five for an artifact creature construct, four, six at the beginning of your end step. If you control two or more other creatures, draw a card, three and a white, create a one, one colorless soldier artifact creature token, and it has unearth of two and two white. This seems like costed for kind of standard only, but in a mid-rangey creature based standard format, this is a hell of a card in board stalls. It just draws you a card every turn and then unearths to draw you another card at some points and, you know, is a reasonable body. I, you know, this grinds really hard for an on the board type format. No, I, this is also a card I've looked at for cubes. Like the, the, yeah. set, the artifacts in the set are really good for cubes and such. Uh, Platoon Dispenser, I think, is currently a little too overcosted for something that like wedding invitation does wedding announcement mm-hmm. whichever one it is announcement <laughs> that card's kind of just like taking all that space for itself which kind of sucks sure but i mean when it's not around maybe we can fit platoon dispenser and it does have the little grindy thing where it not only draws cards it makes creatures it's just a little on the expensive side it is. I mean, this is really good with wedding announcement. Like, you True. play wedding announcement, make a couple of tokens, you're very likely to have two other creatures in play when you cast this thing. Yeah, that, I mean, that's true. <laughs> but there's and a then, lot of And cards. then you get to draw more wedding announcements, and that card's great. Yeah, then you just keep drawing cards, and then they're dead because you've made a bunch yeah. of tutus. <laughs> My next card is Lauren of the Third Path, two and a white, two one, Vigilance. When it enters the battlefield, destroy up to one target artifact or enchantment. Tap, you and target opponent each draw a card. It's probably the only legacy playable white card from this set. But, you know, Reclamation Sage in white, extra good in Aether Vial type decks that empty your hand really quickly. So that tap ability is very likely to be relevant. Extra, extra good in 
like legacy death and taxes that has cards like labyrinth spirit in it that can make that tap ability just ridiculous but mostly it's reclamation sage in white which we kind of have with cathar commando but it being an ecb is more powerful yeah especially since you can flicker with things like you ephemerate yeah or yorion <laughs> no like yorion's dead well this is a legacy playable card oh i was oh, oh you're right i thought i said modern <laughs> but i don't think i made that that jump yet uh i i, I like lorna Thurpeth a lot just because you it is the reclamation sage i've been looking for in white one of the cool things about it is even if you don't have the spirit of the labyrinth thing going on mm-hmm. you can still just end of their turn draw a card on your mm-hmm. turn draw a card and so you have two cards they also have two cards but you get the first crack at them yeah unlike you know normal howling wind effects where your opponent just draws the cards and gets to play them first right and i mean this is just a bonus on top of a reclamation sage so yeah anytime you make that ability good then this card's really good Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, I'm not going to build a deck around Lorna as a third path and Narset or whatever, but no, it is it is neat that this is a Reclamation Sage and White has not had one of those. <laughs> yep. That, that's all it needed to be to be playable. And then they just put two other abilities on it. Yeah. And it's legendary, I guess, which doesn't matter because usually you tutor up a Reclamation Sage in those formats. I don't know how many Mox Amber decks Lorna of the third path is going in, but <laughs> well, I wouldn't count it out. Mox Amber's yeah. strong. <laughs> Mox Amber's really good. Uh, my number two white card is Lay Down Arms. White for a sorcery. Exile target creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of planes you control. Its controller gains three life. We've been seeing just kind of a rise of mid-rangey white heavy or mono white decks in Pioneer. They exist in Standard as well. They've also been doing a really good job of printing lots of neat utility lands that reward you for being in monocolor decks, and this one doesn't go great with those kinds of cards, but it's an incredibly efficient removal spell in a heavy white deck, and they've printed enough good white cards that that's not that big of a cost, especially for specifically the mid-rangey type of thing that this would fit into. Uh, So I'm excited to explore the use of this powerful, cheap exile removal spell in pioneer and standard mostly yeah i think this is a really good get for pioneer like there's a glaring lack of powerful white removal that's why everyone's mm-hmm. playing chain to the rocks <laughs> like you, yeah. you gotta play chain to the rocks this is the best removal i've got what are we doing with these mountains it's like that kind of thing right i mean like chain is great but it, no, yes, it is you good to have a lot of mountains in your deck to make it work this one just you want to have a lot of planes in your deck which is a it's little the, easier it's the color you're already playing too like you're right it also doesn't have the, you know, they lay line binding your chain to the rocks and get their creature back later. That's the right deal. So I think this is just a straight upgrade. It's it's very good. It's number one on my list, actually. I mean, it goes in very different decks from chain to the rocks has oh, yeah, gone into. But, I, I wasn't yeah. trying to make, I was kind of comparing the removal options in white and pioneer more so than like you, everyone sure. stops playing chain to the rocks now. No, yeah, this card is just great. Uh, My number one is actually Kayla's Reconstruction. This is X white, white, white for a sorcery. Look at the top seven cards of your library. Put up to X artifact and or creature cards with mana value three or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I 
just like became more of a believer in this card after seeing it cast some in Pioneer this weekend. Uh, it's just like very powerful, very overwhelming and backbreaking in these like mid-rangey creature decks, especially like the ones with Nykthos. And sometimes you just like cast it for three or four pretty easily and it can just do incredible nonsense. Uh, maybe not more impactful than Laydown Arms, but... This type of deck, this like mid-range white deck having this like big card advantage spell that is, you know, acceptable to cast at X equals one or two and then can like really do some nonsense when you're getting like potentially three or even four things out of it. Uh, I, this card has seemed surprisingly good to me. Uh, this one wasn't on my radar, actually. I, I can see where it would be good. I'm just a little hesitant about it. Yeah, I was skeptical too, but it has looked better than, you know, you would think by looking at the mana cost and card type. Yeah, I think it's a lot closer to Storm the Festival to me than like a Genesis wave mm -hmm. uh, because it it doesn't scale as much as you would think. <laughs> like you, right. you're only ever looking at the top seven cards of your library and some number of those are going to be lands or non-creature spells or, mm -hmm. or non-artifacts, I guess. And so paying for this for more than like three is often going to be like pretty bad. Yeah. So then you're looking like, all right, do I want a five mana spell that's like a white collected company? And I don't know at sorcery speed. I don't know that that's good enough, but I mean, maybe it is. Yeah, I mean, your your deck already has to be like a mid-rangey deck that's almost all creatures. And then you like stick this in as your card advantage thing. Um, but right now, there's just a, like a lot of good mid-rangey white creatures, including you know in the angels deck that make this a little more playable. So it just looked pretty good, and it does something that white I think really benefits from. Okay, I have several different cards from you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so uh, number five was my yeah, this is a creature kind of pick. <laughs> I have autonomous assembler. Uh, this okay. is a five mana artifact. Uh, with prototype uh, so it's five mana for a four five or it's one and a white for a two two it's an artifact creature assembly worker uh, has vigilance and you can pay one and tap it to put a plus one plus one counter on target assembly worker you control i will save you the scryfall search there's only five assembly workers there's this guy the three unplayable or power plant tower mine guys mm -hmm. <laughs> and mistress foundry the land which is fine is Mishra's Factory too, right? Mm, is that... I mean, sure, if you were going, were going to go into Modern, you can sure. do that. I don't know if you would want to, but yeah, it's it's legal. <laughs> but mostly it's putting counters on itself. Yes. I, I, I just kind of like the play pattern of... I, like, I have, I don't have a good grasp of the two drops in white in mm -hmm. Standard, but a 2-2 two -two with Vigilance that attacks as a... Like, a kind of hard-to-block 3-3 three -three, that you can use your mana on other stuff. It does seem somewhat good like I don't, I don't think it breaks the bank or anything but two two yeah attack can't really block it that well if with your like two three or whatever because it just eats it and sure. then you don't even have to use the mana on it you can just do it on the plays and it develops uh outside of combat as well like if you have mana left over you can just make it bigger yeah i don't hate it i, I think that this is a totally acceptable two drop side note honorable mention i guess i love combat <laughs> thresher which is the the one one double strike for three etv draw card it's a yeah. type. i just like that card a lot i love three mana diddly dopey white creatures that just draw a card <laughs> sure yeah this can replace your like priest of whatever priest of ancient lore is that what it is oh the dwarf yeah yeah 
or angelic in a, in a queue. <laughs> the new one. Yeah, fuck angelic overseer. Yeah, that card is messed up. Uh, my number four is Lauren of the Third Path for the reasons discussed above. Mm -hmm. uh, my number three is Recruitment Officer. This is a generic creature 2-1. It's a white mana 2-1 creature human soldier. You can pay four mana to look at the top four cards of your library. You can reveal a creature card with mana value three or less from among them, put it into your hand, and the rest go on the bottom. Uh, this is just like one of the better one drops available in Pioneer. Like It's way better than Soldier of the Pantheon and such, if you're mm -hmm. still playing that. Uh, it's just like an upgrade to several existing decks so yeah it's like it's definitely better than those but also like it's not changing those decks in any no it's you know. still it still is fan alliance it's not like yeah you're going into your game and you're like i hit turn four i'm gonna activate this and draw a card oh yeah we're doing it that's just not how the card plays out <laughs> you're probably gonna lose most games you're activating this in but you know that's that's not really here that's neither here nor there i mean it gives you more shots at finding uh I'm blanking on the Innerstrad legendary Adeline. Yeah, it gives you more chance for Adeline. So yeah, I guess so. Adeline <laughs> is really at its best when you cast it on turn three, though. That's when your opponent just dies. Uh, but sometimes later they than kill that. your first Adeline, and it's mm -hmm. it's rough. You yep. need to recruit another one. Yep. Uh, my number two is Steel Seraph. This is another prototype card. I love the prototype cards. I know. So this is a either a six mana five four or a one white white three three. Artifact creature angel. It has flying. Uh, at the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gains your choice of flying, vigilance, or lifelink until end of turn. Uh, this can target itself, so you can give it flying and lifelink, or flying and vigilance, or double flying. Like either of those options are all perfectly <laughs> valid. <laughs> Uh, this is just an angel, which has been, you know, kind of rising in popularity in Pioneer. This does have the creature type angel. It unfortunately has the mana cost of six, so you can't collect a company into you, it. You can't collect a company into it. That's true. But the utility it offers is, I think, pretty good. The ability to jump. I mean, you don't need to jump angels a lot of the time. But mm -hmm. lifelink is a highly relevant ability in that angel deck. No, yeah, I think this just seems good in white aggressive creature decks generally. Like it lets you really change up what you're doing depending on the game state. And lifelink is an incredible ability when you're racing. Flying is a really good ability when you're just trying to push damage. And vigilance is a really good ability when you're trying to not get minus two'd by the wandering emperor. So I think there's like <laughs> a lot going for this card. Yeah, I, I like this card. It's got a lot of options. Uh, not the least of which is kind of that mana cost because most of the time it's just a three mana three three. Yeah, I don't know why it's not a five five. I don't know why it only has four toughness if you pay double mana for it. But maybe they just really needed to be able to uh, obliterate bolt bullet. it. Yeah, I guess it's really the only thing holding back this shatterable card. <laughs> <laughs> it would um, feel like way more substantial if it were a five five for some reason. Like that just like feels much tougher than a five four. Yeah, I mean a braid isn't standard. Like, come on. <laughs> Just give me the extra point of toughness. <laughs> uh, and my number one is Lay Down Arms. I think that card's incredible, especially yep. for, for Pioneer and Standard. I tend to agree. All right, blue cards. Blue cards were kind of tough for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start off with a, a weird one. You're going to have to bear with me. All five of mine are weird ones, so don't worry about it. My number five is Machine Over Matter. 
Hell yeah. This is an instant for one and a blue. It costs one less if you control an artifact creature. And it's return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. This is just your tempo card, right? Like <laughs> we played so many unsummons recently. I just I I can't get I can't put like weird disperse on my list. That's just not happening. I put weird disperse on my list. I was I considered only putting like four blue cards. <laughs> so you know you get weird disperse, and Fine. it's worse than the one in Dominaria United for sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're not always playing black Rona's or something or another. Oh, Rona's Vortex, yeah. Yeah. It looks like this one has the benefit of non-land permanent, if that matters. I, I guess, man. I'm only bouncing creatures, though, right? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to move on from this card. Cause Keep I, going. It's whatever. Keep going. I do like Falaji. My next card is Falaji Archaeologist. I like this card a little bit because it's a graveyard card. It's one mm-hmm. in a blue for an O3. Human Scout. I guess archaeologists are scouts. Uh when Falaji Archaeologist enters the battlefield, mill three cards. You can put a non-creature, non-land card from among the cards and milled this way into your hand. And if you do not, you put a plus one counter on Falaji Archaeologist. Mostly I see this as a two mana like creature that allows you to dig for a, a spell in graveyard active decks that can use a body, which is really specific. But I can think of something where if you're in certain formats, you could go like Fulgigi Archaeologist into Sidisi's Faithful or something like that and use the creature really efficiently. You're good mm-hmm. to go. Uh, otherwise, it's a, a dopey one for you. You'd never want to play. No. Three cards just seems like not quite enough. I don't know that spending two mana on this is like a successful play most of the time in standard. But, you know, we're reaching a little bit here, I think. Yeah, I, I mostly see this as like I need specific cards and nothing else matters to me mm-hmm. i don't think standard's going to be in that spot for a very long time <laughs> yeah. so this card is unlikely to make an impact but i don't feel very confident about many of the blue cards on this list except for like the top two which i think are very good sure keep going uh, then my number three is one with the multiverse this is a, a favorite of mine mm-hmm. this is the eight mana enchantment you may look at the top card of your library anytime you can play lands and cast spells from the top of your library uh, once during each of your turns, you may cast a spell from your hand or the top of your library without paying its mana cost. It's fancy omniscience. Ooh. Yeah, but like, you know, you would play eight omnisciences in your Tybalt's Trickery deck. You'll certainly, like, this is probably better than omniscience in your Tybalt's Trickery deck, so. Yeah, and it has the benefit of being a future site when you have this weird uh, card cast to one with the multiverse which is mm-hmm. sometimes something you can do in omniscience decks i'm thinking of mostly lotus field uh i don't i don't think lotus field particularly is the as it's currently built with the combo thing i don't think it's what you want one with the multiverse you would rather have omniscience mm-hmm. but i know players like spike have tried to use lotus field in different ways uh, like what's a fairy hero dominary and such and if you're just trying to ramp, maybe you could ramp into this. I don't know. It's something. Yeah. But, but mostly it's just Omniscience 5 through 8 for decks. Omniscience that, 5 through 8. Yeah. Or Omniscience number 2 if you're trying to make a Gifts Ungiven pile or similar effects. Sure. Having having a another effect with a different name is useful. It doesn't work in, like, you know, show-and-tell decks where you have Omniscience in play and then that lets you, like, cast all of your cantrips to, like, fi- get your Find Cunning Wish or whatever. And then... <laughs> You know, it, it doesn't let you do it that way, but when you're like 
yeah, I have these emeracles and stuff, and this is how I do that. Like, I you know, then it's the same emeracle. as omniscience. Yeah. yeah. And it, sometimes it's better if it's the last card you put one with the multiverse into play, and emeracles on top. Whoa, you got him. Who wouldn't have gotten there with omniscience? Hmm. Anyway, number two is Teferi, Temporal Pilgrim. Temporal mm-hmm. Pilgrim. Three UU for four Banner Planeswalker. Whenever you draw a card, you put a loyalty counter on Teferi. So his zero, which is a secret plus one, is just draw a card. Ooh, synergy. <laughs> yeah. Minus two is create a 2-2 blue spirit token with vigilance, and whenever you draw a card, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature. His minus 12 is target opponent chooses a permanent they control and returns it to its owner's hand. Then they shuffle each non-land permanent they control into its owner's library. I just think this is a really solid Planeswalker. Like it's, I haven't yeah. seen it play out yet, uh, but it does seem like a very good standard great Planeswalker just because it adds to the board in a relevant way. Yeah, and it just kills them really quick if they, you know, if you manage to make two tokens with this, like those just kill your opponent very quickly and even though it's like a four loyalty planeswalker and minus twos to make a token you can make two tokens two turns in a row if they don't attack teferi because you draw a card on your turn it goes up yeah so you and so you keep your teferi after making the second one yeah exactly better than it, it's basically corn cyan <laughs> <laughs> i mean probably kind of pretty similar play pattern to that especially since the the tokens get so big one of the weaknesses of Karn Cyanaversa is mostly that people like played it and then wanted to draw cards when the correct play was just like to minus two it and then minus two it because like they didn't understand just how big that construct was going to get if they did that. Um, this one, I think more pe- most people are going to recognize like, oh, I should make these tokens. They're going to be gigantic. Yeah, I, I think the <laughs> the real problem with this Teferi is failing to make the second token after you make the first because the tokens mm-hmm. are more powerful than the Planeswalker. Uh, yeah. If you've ever played Modern Horizons Limited, played with a Narophage, that card is it gets real big, real out of hand, real fast. And if you play anything that just cantrips like a Consider, those tokens get bigger. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or any looting effects or anything like that. The dream here is like cast a fairy have it like minus to it have it survive minus to it again seagate restoration put a million counters <laughs> on your creatures and a million loyalty counters on teferi once you have a couple spirits in play and they they're alive and large they have vigilance they just take over the battlefield yeah uh, that seems like something you can take advantage of especially in standard yep i mean not all boards are going to be ones that this is effective on it's you know no. not great when you're it's under a five pressure. card that makes a 2-2. Two, two. Like, but your whole <laughs> deck, any deck with this card in it, all the rest of your cards are going to be kind of dedicated towards making the board pretty clear when you put this down. So, And it's fail cases like what? A 4-mana loyalty planeswalker that draws a card every turn? That's mm-hmm. solid. If that's your you know fail case. Yeah, if your opponent's sitting there with a handful of like creature removal that doesn't kill planeswalkers, then you just easily win by drawing cards. Although most, most of that removal hits planeswalkers these days. So... Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I would have to look at how the removal lines up because it's kind of awkward. You can, you know, point four damage at Teferi in response to his put a loyalty counter on me kind of deal. Yeah, but Obliterating Bolt is a sorcery. So. It is a sorcery. That's why I would have to look at the removal. I know the Obliterating yeah, yeah. Bolt was the one I knew and I knew it was a sorcery. Right. <laughs> I think it's the one that we'll see the most play, but 
Yeah. Uh, my number one card is Arcane Proxy. I think this is one of the better cards in the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is seven mana for a 4-3. It's got Prototype, so it's also one UU for a 2-1, which is the mode I think you'll be playing it for 99% of the time. Yes. Even when you have seven mana. <laughs> uh, when Arcane Proxy enters the battlefield, if you cast it, exile target instant or sorcery card with mana value less than or equal to its power from your graveyard. Copy that card. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. So it's very similar to a Torrential Gear Hulk in wording. Like you pick a card in your graveyard, then you can cast it for free. Uh, and it gets exiled. Love this card. Three mana, two, one that casts a spell for free is so good. In the right deck, it's just kind of like a modal, like necrotal slash creature that cantrips like whatever makes sense at the time it's, and it's very close to a hybrid of necrotal and snapcaster mage mm-hmm. uh, snapcaster mage had the thing where it could do it with counter spells and arcane proxy can't so right. you have to be proactive with it but you can always just recycle a consider a three mana two one that considers on etb is pretty solid uh, and yeah if you try to make to that be... kind of the floor of it and your other like you would rather like, it's in there primarily to recast your obliterating bolts yeah, or your exactly. duresses or whatever. Go for a throw, what have you. It, it's yeah. always, it, you're trying to make it a 3-1 that impacts the board primarily. Mm-hmm. And then its backup is, oh, I guess there's nothing I can impact the board here, so I'll just draw a card immediately. Yeah, uh, You can also bounce it to your hand, replay it, uh, buy it back with uh, unearth effects. Well, ra- it needs to be raised dead effects because it's a cast trigger, yeah. And then you're good to go. Like, it's it's very good. Yeah, you can't quite do the, like, you know, Snapcaster, give my Unearth flashback, Unearth a Snapcaster, give another spell flashback. Like, you can't quite chain them like that. But if you have, I don't know, some, like, modal raised dead in your deck or something like that, then you may be able to use this as a long-term heavy card advantage plan in a, you know, some sort of terrible Grixis deck. The, the classic raised dead, my Gravedigger. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, this card is really good at playing the Raise Dead My Gravedigger game. Oh, it is, yeah. I, I, I think this card's one of the best in the set. Uh, yeah. I think it will, if it can, depending on how, like, the mid-range... Standard is super mid-rangey right now. Depending on how that format shakes up, I think it's probably... This card is probably going to be one of the most impactful. Yes. It does double down on if you drew a card that is good in the matchup. So, like, you know... If you're playing against creatures and you drew your cantrips, but you're not hitting your you know, obliterating bolts or go for the throat, then this doesn't help you. But if you did, then this is really, really good. But, you know, you just it lets you high roll really hard, I think. Yeah, that, that's why I think the the low roll of, all right, I'll consider, is is solid. Consider is already a blue card. I think it's not a stretch to put your deck once you have this one in there. Yep. Uh, so on my list, my number five is Herkel Master Wizard. This is one UU for a 2-4 Human Wizard Advisor. At the beginning of your end step, if you cast a non-creature spell this turn, reveal the top five cards of your library. For each card type among non-creature spells you've cast this turn, you may cut you may put a card of that type from among the reveal cards into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I don't know what type of deck this goes in. I don't love it as like your non-artifact enabler or payoff in a artifact heavy deck, which means I guess like 
you play it with sorceries because it doesn't make a lot of sense with instants since it triggers at the beginning of your end step. So, you know, the deck, I'm not picturing a deck that is coming together, but a three mana two four that's like drawing a spell most turns. If you can put that deck together, like this is a powerful effect. I, I don't know if that exists or is doable. Yeah, I don't think it exists. I think the best card of it is Mox Amber. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I don't think, I think there's way better things to be doing for Mox Amber. Yeah, there's just way more broken stuff to be doing. Yeah. My number four card is Hercule's Final Meditation. This is for you, 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 for an instant. As long as it's not your turn, this spell costs three more to cast. So that would make it a 10 mana spell if it's not your turn. Return all non-land permanents to their owner's hands. End the turn. I I think I just realized reading the card that this doesn't actually work very well with Torrential Gear Hulk. So I'm just not actually going to count this card. That costing three more to cast means you have to pay that three on top of your Torrential Gear Hulk when you're doing this on their turn. So this card just doesn't work. There's, you, there's you just no do, way to make yes. this work. Well, you just get up to nine mana, then you play your Torrential Gear Hulk, and then you get yeah. your turn. Yeah, you get that one mana discount off of your Hercules final meditation on their turn. All right, well, that's this a card, bummer. But This card also does exile itself as it's resolving because it ends the turn while it's on the stack. Right. So it cannot be used to, like, you know, Hercules and then Torrential Gear Hulk with the same Hercules. Just sure. as a note. But if, you know, if things worked out better and it didn't make your Torrential Gear Hulk cost nine... <laughs> then you would get to Torrential Gear Hulk and cast this and bounce your Torrential Gear Hulk to your hand, which would be sweet. But uh, that doesn't actually work at all. So, you know, fuck this card. Wow. Going to have to find a another Torrential Gear Hulk that works with Hercules Final Meditation. I don't think it's really possible. Like, it's always going to attack that three cost on there. So how do we do that? Yeah. I guess we'll just cast it on our turn. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, my other three cards are all from your list as well. My number three is one with the multiverse. My number two is Teferi Temporal Pilgrim. And my number one is Arcane Proxy for all the reasons that we talked about for those. Yeah. Arcane Proxy is really eating up the blue power budget in this set. <laughs> I think it is, yeah. And I, I don't think it extends beyond standard, but I think it's like an incredibly strong standard level card. I agree. Like maybe you can find some like niche cases for it in Pioneer, but you would have to dig a little harder. And the problem is in Pioneer, like, we already have, like, our graveyard budget is already full. I'm just using Dig Through Time or Treasure Cruise. Oh, yeah. And those cards will be around forever. They are, <laughs> yes, they, they are the brainstorms of Pioneer. All right. I can't argue. Let's go to Black. All right. So Black, my number five is Overwhelming Remorse. This is four and a black for an instant. The spell costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. Exile target creature or planeswalker. So murderous cut got a pretty massive upgrade here. Gets to exile. It gets to kill a planeswalker. I mean, you can't delve non-creature. You know, it has to be creatures. So this is a really specific type of murderous cut. I don't really know exactly how to enable it or anything. But when in a deck that is doing dumping like creatures into its graveyard, this is a really cheap, really flexible removal spell that gets any creature or any planeswalker that is causing you problems. And I'm, I just, I believe there are some decks that this will make sense in. Yeah. And it's not even that you really want at least three creatures in your graveyard. So it's super doom blade, which is kind of a lot. I mean, three creatures in your graveyard is no joke. That's kind of tough to get to if you're not dedicated at doing that. 
Yeah, so I, I actually also have this on my list of number five, but mostly because black leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> yeah. My number four is a reprint, Diabolic Intent, one in the black for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice a creature, search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, then shuffle. I think this just kind of opens up tutoring possibilities, particularly in Pioneer, which doesn't have cards like Eladomri's Call and like Traverse the Ovenwald is really difficult to enable in Pioneer. I think it is mostly finding creatures, so it doesn't have a ton of place in Modern. And also if you can do like Court of Calling or Collected Company stuff, that's generally better than this card. Once you like look at the whole package, like Diabolic Intent actually costs one in a black plus X plus X, where X is the cost of the creature you're sacrificing and X is the cost of the card you're getting. Like it's a very slow card ultimately to do what it's trying to do, but it is a reasonably powerful tutor that can do, can get anything. And, you know, you can build your sideboard accordingly with one ofs and bullets and stuff if you are like a four diabolic intent deck i played against a recto sacrifice deck where my opponent was really leaning into diabolic intent and doing some cool stuff i'm not sure that that's where it ends up but you know this opens up a lot of options for decks that have a lot of fodder and a lot of single card bullet things that they can go get did you happen to see the inverterless inverter deck in that did well i think it might have won a challenge or at least it did well on a challenge it was fourth obstacle yeah. for the the two and a black exile, exile of the, the top, top 13. 13 and then yeah. diabolic tutor yeah i did see that deck first of all the deck is cool and that the player who piloted it did a great job i love it yeah uh, uh four thoughts oracle is not a number of thoughts oracle you ever see <laughs> Well, if you're if you keep milling the top thirteen cards, you better have a Thassa's Oracle in your hand in order to keep doing. Because one of the play patterns with that deck is, um, I think it's it's like Demonic Bargain or something like that, Diabolic Bargain, but that's two and a black exile the top thirteen, and then you tutor. One of the play patterns is just cast that exile your top 13 get another one cast that one exile your top 13 get another one so if you're going to start that chain you need the thassa's oracle in your hand when you start things off i i just kind of hope diabolic intent can enable some nonsense like that sure uh that's mostly what i hope for it i don't i think it's really cool as a rakdos sacrifice card but probably not very efficient which is a deck <laughs> that needs to be efficient yeah uh and that, that's kind of where I fall down. I think it's a powerful effect. It did not make my list, but I am glad it is part of these formats now. Yeah, me too. Uh, my number three is Phyrexian Flesh Gorger. This is a prototype. Yes. Artifact creature, Phyrexian Worm. Uh, this is, to me, like one of the best of the bunch. Seven or one and two black for either a 7-5 or a 3-3. Three, three. It has Menace, Lifelink, and Ward pay life equal to Phyrexian Flesh Gorger's power. I think this is already seeing quite a bit of play in standard mid-rangey black decks. You can't ignore a three power Menace Lifelink body. You gotta kill it. You take three damage for your trouble. Games in this format go long because everybody's playing these mid-range decks. Once you get to that point and you cast this as a seven mana 7-5 seven, menace lifelink that if they kill it they take seven damage they're like they probably can't target it with a removal spell because you you chip away at their life total with like 
you know, the various creatures, tenacious underdogs and graveyard trespassers and invoke despairs and stuff like that. Seven is just too much. And then they have to figure out some way of rumbling with this menace lifelink thing in combat. Also, it's a three drop that once it hits the graveyard, if you have any incidental reanimation in your deck, it brings it back as, you know, in big mode. And I think this card is just a very good, versatile, powerful mid-range standard card. Yeah, it also often trades well because of Venice. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got that, like, secret. They have to block with two creatures so that you get to pick which one dies, yeah. uh, which is super useful. They all often have to block with something they do not care to block with or will have to just two-for-one themselves. Yep. Uh, funny story, I did see someone playing with this on Arena and made the mistake. It was a, it was the 7 mana version, the 7-5. Mm -hmm. made the mistake of shortcutting the ward to pay three life uh instead of paying uh -huh. to its power so target it with a removal spell realized that they were going to pay seven life which they could not afford <laughs> declined and then just you know had their spell to be countered <laughs> uh yeah that's it's a big ward when it's full-sized mm -hmm. also if you have pumps this is a limited thing but if you have pump spells in your deck and they like target it and then you put the ward ability on the stack and then you like giant growth your Phyrexia and Flesh Gorger, it makes the ward more expensive to pay. If you want to like use your giant growth as a lava spike, for instance. Sometimes, sometimes you do. I mean, that's it, it, it often can be that whenever yeah. you want. <laughs> that's true. You can usually make the giant growth a, a lava spike. My number two is Misery's Shadow. So there's one in a black for a 2-2 shade. If a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. One, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. This is already seeing some play to help like kind of lower the curve in the Pioneer Rakdos decks. I think it's like fine there. I don't think it's a huge game changer, but it does give you that like Kalidus exile ability without having to play that clunky four mana spell in order to get it it does some pressuring early one of its best things is just being a hard to block 2-2 that is just chipping in for damage two damage a turn over and over and then you know shieldred comes down and if your opponent is at 12 when shieldred comes down then they're really going to struggle to win that game from there and that's the role that i've seen it play a lot and it's been pretty good at that i think players probably need to aggressively block it more and just like you know, if your opponent spends two or three mana to pump their Misery Shadow to win a combat, you may be able to leverage that tempo to, you know, win the game because magic isn't really about card advantage anymore. So, uh, you know, think about that. Think about feeding something to the shadow in order to, like, turn the tempo of the game around. Because when your opponent can just, like, keep coming in for two damage and then, like, cast a removal spell, cast a Fable of the Mirror Breaker and stuff at the same time. Like, that's worse for you than them spending their turn pumping. But anyways, I think this card is fine. Not insane, but fine. You can also use... I, I agree with your assessment, but you can also use, like, cards like Playfire in response to pumps if they want to, mm -hmm. to, to like, make their turn awkward. Yeah. Uh, which is something to look out for. Even if you don't end up getting the creature, you often time walk them. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. Right. I, I spend a lot of time with creatures like this in play just, like hoping that my opponent doesn't use an instant at a spot that like really messes me up figuring that out is a, a really important thing when it comes to playing against these cards uh my number one is gix yogmoth praetor one and two black for a three three phyrexian praetor whenever a creature deals combat damage 
to one of your opponents. Its controller may pay one life. If they do, they draw a card. That's just weird templating for multiplayer. It makes your creatures Ophidians that you have to pay one life each time and has a really expensive activated ability that I don't care about. If you get one trigger off of this, like the turn it comes into play, it's a really impressive card. And then anything after that is kind of just gravy. As long as there is an aggressive deck or just a deck with cheap creatures generally that you can put this down with multiple of those in play and then threaten to draw a bunch of cards uh, i think gix is just really really strong i really like gix i think he's an interesting deck building question because his, his effect is obviously very good yeah uh, once... he's just in like the worst color for it he is in the worst color for it and if you're using him well you need a little more life, and Flex, Phyrexian Flesh Gorger is like the best way to do that, and that's also a 3-drop. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like that Gix is this interesting deck-building puzzle in that regard. I don't really know where he goes, but if we can utilize his effect in a way that makes him better than just all the other generic card advantage stuff, because you are attacking while you're using Gix, mm-hmm. then I'm, I'm down. That is the squeeze that they just put you in building standard decks right like every good card costs three mana yes. like in black you've got gix and flesh gorger and graveyard trespasser you got fable of the mirror breaker wedding announcement adeline like you just can't it's every good card in standard is a three drop yeah good cards used to cost two uh a while ago and that was too efficient <laughs> well now, yeah, they added, they added a mana but then made them all win the game if you untap with them <laughs> yeah. or pull so massively far ahead yes i have some black cards my number five is overwhelming remorse that's the Great. cheap doom uh, doom blade exile creature it costs one less for each creature card in your graveyard we talked about that my number four is misery shadow i'm not as high on it because i think it's pretty limited in i, I don't like shades they're mm-hmm tricky to use this one's pretty good because it's cheap and it's got that like graveyard effect your your ideal game with misery shadow involves you never, never activate activating it, it. yeah, yeah. I, I think it's good for the i'm a grizzly bear <laughs> i'm a weird black hate bear <laughs> that's kind of where yes. i like it yep yep and it makes it kind of awkward where your opponent doesn't know how or when to interact with it and spots where you can use the mana that that's neat yeah, I, I view it kind of as a pioneer power level, like Dothy Voidwalker almost. And yes. That's, you know. You know, it's not unblockable. You can't cast spells for free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. It's, it's not quite Modern Horizons 2 <laughs> level of power, but it's it's okay. Uh, my number three is also for Phyrexian Flesh Gorger. My number two is Razor Lash Transmogret. I like this card quite a bit. This is a 2-mana 3-1 artifact creature zombie that cannot block. You can pay 4 and 2 black, so 6 mana total, and return it from your graveyard to the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it. So that comes a 4-2. This ability costs 4 or less to activate if an opponent controls 4 or more non-basic lands. So typically in standard, that ability is often going to be active. Yeah. As, as standard decks are currently built i mean if mono red or mono white shows up this card plummets in playability well it's unplayable against any mono red or mono white deck anyways right so yeah that's true uh i i just kind of like this no restrictions comeback mm-hmm. ability because something like scrap heap scrounger was very good mostly because it could crew vehicles uh, i will admit but 
you did have like windows where you're running out of fuel to like you you had to exile a creature card each time to bring it back and it was a three two and it was a really good attacker this one is a little obviously worse than scrap Peep scrounger but it does not have any restrictions it assuming the non-basic land thing is going to be true which right now almost every game is true Mm-hmm. It just comes back, and it always comes back as a four-two. You can use it instant speed. You just need two mana. You don't have to do anything else. I think that's a useful thing to have. Yeah, and it's also in the two mana slot, which you like. We just need playable cards in that slot exactly. to put into your deck. Like if I'm trying to decide between in my standard deck, or I want like something like Misery Shadow or Razor Lash Transmogger in an aggressive slanted deck, I would not. I would want the Transmogger. Right. Which I think it just does more. It's more relevant. Yeah, Misery Shadow is like a special use case, like mid-rangey card more than anything else. And honestly, this probably should be a little lower than Flush Scorger, but I kind of gave it the nod because it's a two-drop. Sure. Uh, whereas, you know, there's a million three-drops, and Flush Scorger is very good, but it's just other three, whereas Transmogrant is a two-drop. It has that nice little recursion thing, which doesn't cost a million mana and life, like the, the one in Strixhaven I don't remember the name of. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it competes with or if it complements Tenacious Underdog in Standard. Because Underdog is very good and does, I, like, kind of similar stuff. Yeah, I've enjoyed it when I've seen Underdogs as, like, one-ofs or two-ofs in a deck list for, you know, I'm a two-drop and I get the little long-game value <laughs> if we get mm-hmm. there. Uh, whereas Transmogger can be like, all right, I'm going to attack with this, I'm going to trade off creatures, and then we're just going to bring it back. And we're just yeah. going to keep doing that until you run out of stuff. It's, it's a little tough because it really doubles down on one thing that's going on in Standard is, like, getting ahead on board means you win, and, like, it, <laughs> like that's just what it is. It's so hard to come back from behind, and this card does literally nothing. Like, it just has no text when you're behind at all, and, I mean, maybe that just is fine because you've, like, conceded every game where you end up behind and you, nothing could really bring you back. Certainly no two-drop is doing it. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. And my number one is also Gix. Sure. It's just the card with the most text in black, so. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that text, it, over half of his text box, I just didn't read because it's irrelevant, but. Yeah, it's seven mana, discard X cards, exile the top X cards, your target opponent's library, and cast I'm them for already free. asleep. <laughs> it's seven mana. You're never going to get there. It doesn't matter. You just have use... better things to do with your mana once you've drawn all of these cards off of yeah. Gix. Use your seven mana to cast the cards you drew off Gix. I the guess if you drew are... all lands, you can just, you know, sorry, you can activate Gix then. Right. If you're heavy flooded and you don't have man lands to activate, yeah, fine. Like, it's there. It's The card is better with it there, but it would see exactly as much play without that text on it. That is a that is commander text. Mm, for my Gix commander deck. Oh, yeah. Hey, Mono Black has a long and storied history in commander, thanks to the card Cabal Coffers. Uh, yeah. A card that was extremely expensive before being reprinted. Yes. Uh, I have an honorable mention in red. Uh, it's a card near and dear to me, which I don't think is very good. <laughs> it's Goblin Blast Runner. Sure. <laughs> it's a red mana 1-2 goblin uh, that gets plus 2 plus 0 and menace as long as you've sacrificed a permanent this turn. <laughs> I, I don't know. Something about this card just makes me smile. I picture it with... I pictured it in Popper, to be honest, where you can like crack spell bombs and use Kildolta Rebirth and stuff like that, where it's actually kind of a threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case in Standard unless New Phyrexia goes wild, but I like yeah. this card. 
We're not, and we're not like putting Goblin Blast Runner in our like cat of index to keep, no, you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's an honorable mention. I just, sure. I just think this card is cool. Yeah. Uh, and number five is Bitter Reunion. This is a one in a red enchantment that is Tormenting Voice. When it enters the battlefield, you can discard a card if you do draw two cards. Uh, one and sacrifice it. Creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. We talked about this before. It's just a complement to the Enigmatic Incarnation style decks. Mm-hmm. I think it performs a good role there, namely in making your mana less bad. Like skewing towards red is a lot easier than. Yeah, and I've actually gone up on this card quite a bit since initial evaluations. I've just seen it in a lot of decks and good in a lot of decks doing a lot. Like that haste ability is not trinket text. Like that's a really real ability. So I've seen this in modern putting together various builds of Archons. Archon decks. Yeah. Like Archon of Cruelty with haste is the just ends any game immediately. It's just permeable titan at that point. Yeah. I mean they're just dead. You can't you can't survive that. My round two, I lost on my opponent on like turn five or six, just creativity then two world spine worms and then cracked this to 30 me immediately. Uh, I was very dead to that and reunion just seemed incredible in that deck. Uh, it's great with Fable of the Mirror Breaker and doubles down on like, you know, gives you the extra ability to discard cards in your deck that wants to do that for whatever. Like, say, a standard red-white reanimator deck with Invoke Justice, and then this is a way of giving whatever you're bringing back with Invoke Justice haste and also puts cards in your graveyard and is good with Fable because it hastes up your flip Fable. Like, I just think Bitter Union is so much better. It looks like this, like, filler role player common, but actually anytime your opponent activates one Sacrifice Bitter Reunion, oh. like, you, you're dead. The game the is role, over. The role it plays in its ability is you, you die. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've won the game. Yes. And that's because they put it together with something good. You know, it's not just Bitter Reunion doing that, but it's it goes from, like, oh, they put their thing together. I wonder if I can beat that, too. Oh, I'm not getting another turn this game. That's like unfortunate. It, it, it being on an enabler... <laughs> And the yes. ability at offering it being haste is like kind of the whammies here. Because if it, you know, if it was just, if it didn't have the discard thing, like if it just cantripped and then it had the sacrifice thing, it would be unplayable. Right, right. But because but it, it allows you to put things together and is just like kind of a weird payoff, mm-hmm. it's gold. Yeah. I, I think this card is going to see play in a bunch of different formats, in a bunch of very different decks. And uh, activating it is going to be the last thing that happens in a game before you pick up your cards a lot of the time. My number four is a card I actually don't have. I, I kind of hedged with this one. I don't know how to properly evaluate it, but it is Mechanized Warfare. Oh, yeah, that's on my list, too. Okay, so this is one red red enchantment. If a red or artifact source you control would deal damage to an opponent or permanent an opponent controls, it deals that much damage plus one instead. So I've lost so many games to Torprin. <laughs> just so many games yeah so i respect the damage amplification cards but i don't know exactly i'm not like very familiar about how they play out especially on like a three minute enchantment that's not a creature mm-hmm. but it does do damage the turn it comes into play because you presumably have creatures and stuff yeah I mean, I think it's better to have it on an enchantment than on a creature body. 
like Torbrin's body rarely mattered. It was mostly like Torbrin, are you dead right now? It was, it was now? also double this card. Right. I mean, that's the other thing. Torbrin is twice is two of these. So that like Torbrin on an enchantment for four mana would be completely nuts, right? Yeah, so, it's just furnace of wrath. So <laughs> yeah, I think that this card is good, and I think it particularly just like makes Oni Cult an- Anvil lethal almost immediately. Does Oni Cult Anvil do damage? I thought it was loss of life. No, it deals one damage to each opponent. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. Okay, cool. So finding stuff like that to amplify with this, I think, is kind of the key to making it good. You don't just want to play red creatures and then put this into play and hope they die to it. But the fact that it, like, makes all of your spells deal an extra damage in addition to stuff like Oni Cult Anvil. I saw somebody playing it with End the Festivities, which is red to deal one to each opponent and each creature and planeswalker they control but once it's dealing two <laughs> or three if you have two mechanized warfares in play it's like an incredible one mana spell or even if you you know do it the, the bad way and have one mechanized warfare and two in the festivities that's also yeah, that's really a good. lot of damage <laughs> yeah i think i think warfare is pretty good i do too i just don't it, it's weird because it, I, I don't know how ubiquitous or powerful it would be like i don't know when it'll show up or why or what kind right. of deck will be built around it. It's it's a weird card for me to evaluate, but I think the text on it is really good. And I mean, I think it's the type of card that it being good would move us away from just like mid-range slog decks because mid-range slog decks based around cards like Fable of the Mirror Breaker and Wedding Announcement and Graveyard Trespasser like can't play a card like Mechanized Warfare. You have to be doing something different, doing something sideways, which maybe makes this card a, a relic of, you know, a former eras standard. yeah like we need a block in order to make cards like this work but hopefully there's enough like artifacts and stuff I, running around i'm really really praying that this here is a block because i mm-hmm. i think standard is has been so bad ever since we've gotten away from them yep uh, my number three is just kind of a safe pick it's brotherhood's end <laughs> This is one red red sorcery. Choose one. It deals three damage to each creature and planeswalker, or destroy all artifacts with mana value three or less. Just as Lagstorm variant. I like it. Yep. Kids planeswalkers. Yeah, and then the alternate mode of like killing their. You know, I was delighted to sideboard this in against my Racto Sacrifice opponent at the RC because like it was good. It kills a Mayhem Devil and something, but also sometimes they have two ovens in play and this cleans that up in any food that they have and that's what you wanted to kill. I only ever cast it for deal three to everything and that was fine. That was enough to win all of those games where that effect was good. So, you know, it it's just filling a basic effect slot that you want and adds a little extra optionality and texts on there and yeah, it's a strong card. Yeah, I think this is the best version of this effect if you don't care about exiling creatures like uh, yes. the gods. Yes. My number two is Obliterating Bolt. We've referenced it many times, but not said what it does yet. <laughs> uh, this is Sla- four It's Lava Coil that hits Planeswalkers. Yeah, it's That's one it. red, four damage to start creature Planeswalker. Exile it. It's great. You know, Lava Coil was pretty good. It just sucked that you could never hit their Planeswalkers, and now it does that. So it's yep. obviously great. Yep. Uh, one of the best removal spells in standard i went ahead and like bought a bunch from a vendor as soon as we showed up at regionals just in case people i know needed them for pioneer and some people did couldn't really find the slot for them in phoenix because you needed very specific removal spells like my sideboard 
spot removal was two abrades and a rending volley because I had specific stuff I wanted to kill and particularly wanted to kill stuff at instant speed. But this is flexible, powerful, exiles things, hits Pineswalkers, like, what's not to like? And my number one is Phyrexian Dragon Engine. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite cards in the set. Uh, three mana, two, two, artifact creature, Phyrexian Dragon. It has half of a backside because it's part of a meld card. Like, that's not important. I'm not going <laughs> to ignore read it. it. Uh, three mana, two, two, with double strike. When it enters the battlefield from your graveyard, you may discard your hand if you do draw that three cards. Uh, and then unearth three red, red. Primarily where I like this card is with Goblin Engineer. I think yes. it's a really good combo with Goblin Engineer. You can tutor it and put it into play with Goblin Engineer. Every time you do that, you get to draw three cards and discard your hand. I also really like that you can play it with the card unearth, which is very good with Goblin Engineer, generally. Yes. The card unearth also puts this into play, and then you can use its ability. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's that's really cool. Uh, one weird quirk about this card is it does not work with stuff like Emery or Underworld Breach, because it... Mm cannot enter the stack before entering the battlefield it has That's to go from graveyard to battlefield well we'll play it with black instead of blue yeah uh, i think this card's pretty bad if you're playing it as a three mana two two with double strike before you get its effect <laughs> like you really never want to do that so yeah i don't think it'll see a lot of play in formats where you can't cheat it into sure. play can't like entomb it into your graveyard yeah, Engineer is just the perfect card for this. Yeah, I love that. That like that just sounds really fun to me. I'm totally into it. And that's like a pretty compact engine. It's just Goblin Engineer for X and Dragon Engine, plus or minus Unearth if you want to be in black. Mm -hmm. And then you can just build the rest of your deck, which is probably graveyardy centric because you're discarding your hand. You can just kind of build under those constraints probably a few different shells, which makes it really appealing. Yep, I I'm down. That sounds really fun to me. I don't know if it'll be good enough, but it is certainly something I'm looking forward to. <laughs> yep. Uh, my list is really similar to yours. My number five is Mechanized Warfare. I, I just think it's neat. Didn't have a Goblin uh, Blast Runner on yours? I did not have Goblin Blast Runner <laughs> on my list, although I have looked at that card. I mean, one mana Goblin that can have three power is, like, something, maybe. My number four is Misha's Research Desk. This is the only one on my list that was not on yours. This is one mana for an artifact, one tap, sacrifice it, exile the top two cards of your library, choose one of them. Until the end of your next turn, you may play that card. And it has Unearth for one and a red. You know, kind of like the uh, Yoshin Frontliner, this is just an artifact, a very cheap artifact with Unearth in a much better color for this sort of thing cheap artifact that you can bring back for another shot at it uh it is a little pricey if you're going to be activating it and stuff uh you know just kind of takes your whole turn to unearth it and sacrifice it and you know if you're sacrificing it to something else then you're not getting value out of it so it's you know it's not a perfect card for you know like goblin engineer type decks or anything like that but it's very cheap represents the possibility of value represents the possibility of multiple sacrifices and i think that it can fill in some slots given that it's so cheap and active from the graveyard and also in the fail case where you're not like doing your whatever powerful sacrifice thing is it can dig you towards that stuff i, I think this card has potential just because it's really cheap and it's active mm -hmm. from the graveyard but i do think it's going to be like a card you'll remember about when you, in your weird deck 
when you need something to fill this specific oh, yeah. hole. It's this not gonna only be... goes in weird decks. Yeah. I, I like it, but it's it was a little too restrictive for me to figure out exactly where it goes, so it just got left off my list. Sure. Uh, my number three is Bitter Union. Although, honestly, like the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, I should put this card at number one. I think this card is just really good. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm down. Let's put it at number one. It's honorary number one. Now. Yeah, it's number one. Uh, my number two is Brotherhood's End. My number one, Obliterating Bolt. Yeah, I mean, I think you can kind of put these cards in whatever order. But yeah, Bitter Union at number one makes the most sense to me because it's like the other ones are removal spells. Like this card, this card fucks in a way that the other cards just don't. Man, that's two F-bombs on the same podcast. I know. Year. You're really just ratcheting it up. <laughs> We're going to lose our precious PG rating. Sorry, Apple Podcasts. We're... We're going off the reservation on this episode. <laughs> it's gonna have the explicit tag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I'm interested to see what Green has in store because Green was really rough for me too. I, yeah, I think it has some neat stuff. My number five is Rootwire Amalgam. This is a prototype card, so you may be interested. Five for a five-five or one in a green for a two-three. Three and two green, sacrifice Rootwire Amalgam, create an XX colorless golem artifact creature token where X is three times Rootwire Amalgam's power, it gains haste until end of turn, activate only as a sorcery. So if you played this as a 2-3, you can pay five and sacrifice it to get a 6-6 six, six haste. Or if you played this as a 5-5, five, five, you can pay five and sack it to get a 15-15 15, 15 haste. I'm going to lose your interest in it completely when I explain my reasoning which is just that this like murders people when you have fires of invention in play i mean that's not the worst i i have i mean i i just like i feel like i'm gonna i lose any interest you have in playing this card when i explain oh, that sure. it's for a fires deck but yeah. well, it also you can also play it in a karuga deck and it's a two drop like an actual two drop creature well, right exactly like it fits really nicely in the karuga fires deck in pioneer because it you can play it on turn two it's a two three and then when you have fires in play you can cast it in 15 your opponent and two three is a pretty solid style line <laughs> yeah i mean it, it helps keep you from dying the artifact creature does not have trample, right? It's just a, a big a big guy. Right. You need your Kenrith in play to trample the 15-15. And it, the, the token does get haste the turn you activate it, which is cool. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't go away because it's not a red card. So it, yes. you, make, you make a 6-6, six, six, you attack them for 6, and then it just stays there. Yep. So I think it's good in exactly that deck where it just like allows you to play Karuga and be a 2-drop sometimes and also just murder your opponent other times. Yeah, sure. It's a card with a niche. That's that's pretty good actually for what we're digging with in the the green cards here. Poor poor green cards in an artifact set. It's it's rough out there if you're not literally killing an artifact. Right. If you're not like force of vigor or something. Uh, my number four is audacity. This is green for an aura enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two plus zero oh, and has trample. When it's put into a graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card or mm -hmm. draw a card is what it actually says for some reason. This has already seen play in the green-white Boggles deck that top-aided regional championships. Trample on a creature that has, you know, all that glitters or whatever gigantic enchantments on it is really powerful. If you're putting this thing together, putting trample on that creature means it actually deals lethal damage to your opponent. That's really important. If they kill the guy, this refunds you the card, and it's very cheap. So it does the thing if you want to put auras on your guys. Yeah, this is also my number four because 
that's it's rancor yep. and rancor is good <laughs> yep uh number three is gwenna eyes of gaia two and a green for a two three legendary elf druid scout tap add two mana in any combination of colors spend this mana only to cast creature spells or activate abilities of a creature or creature card when you cast a creature spell with power five or greater put a plus one plus one counter on gwenna eyes of gaia and untap it i don't think this card is great i think it specifically creates Acerac combo decks that people are going to try and try and try and they're going to be sweet and they will probably never really be good but Acerac is that three mana five five that you venture into the dungeon when you cast it and then return it to your hand if you haven't finished the like crappiest dungeon so this adds two mana of it each time so if you have some other mana cost reduction thing or something going on then you go infinite don't play this on magic online there's a specific use case for this, and it's neat. So that's why this is on my list. Yeah, that I, that was the only thing I could think of when you started reading this card. I'm like, uh, if I've seen this Vassarek and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. And Leyland of Abundance is banned. So that's an that's easy way to cheat the combo. Right, yeah, can't do that. You can... You also get to trigger this with Lovestruck Beast is like the playable five power creature. So that's kind of neat. My number two is Teething Wormlet, which would Ooh, be I my love number this card. I two. actually love this card. I It would be my number two based on art alone. It's just got the goofiest look that any magic card has on any face. It's very precious. I imagine it's trying to like catch the bird, but not eat it. It's just curious. It's just interested. Yeah. One green for a 1-1 worm. It has death touch as long as you control three or more artifacts. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. If this is the first time this ability has resolved this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Teething Wormlet. I like heard the text of this card on another podcast, and then I looked at the card and realized it costs one mana when I assumed it cost two. Uh, one mana is a great mana cost to have, and put this in a deck with artifacts, trigger this ability just a couple of times and it's you're getting a lot for one mana mm -hmm. no this, this card's good i it's a little weird because green is the color that's the least amount of artifact mm -hmm. synergies so that is that, that actually makes it pretty difficult to build around but i'm hopeful <laughs> that there's some green artifact stuff we can head up to going into phyrexia like it's an entire color you can't just leave it out of the sets right i mean half of brothers war is artifacts right so like we're getting there yeah and at one mana you can't beat that you also gain a life which is incredible uh, it's that, real. that yeah. really adds like I, I was pretty satisfied with this card with the you know i get a plus one encounter the first time you put an artifact into play mm -hmm. and i'm probably not going to get that touch at a relevant timetable that's okay I'm, I'm okay with that yeah and i get to gain a life every time i do it doesn't every time an artifact enters the battlefield it does not have to be the first time yeah I, I like this card and it's also cheap enough that it could extend to older formats as well where artifacts are much easier to put into play yeah and you can also do like i mean this theoretically slots into hardened scales because it's you can play a lot of artifacts then that deck it's a mono green deck and you're dealing mm -hmm. with you know the ozolith and arcbound worker and like really cheap artifacts yeah but i don't know if it tough, even does anything in that deck tough you know? <laughs> with arcbound worker like if you've got modular cards in your deck it's tough to put non-artifact creatures in your deck but you know you want to get that artifact count up so maybe a pioneer it works with the hardened scales, and it works with hardened scales. that's kind of like the right. deal 
Right. Uh, exactly. The problem with pioneers is you have to figure out where your artifacts are coming from. <laughs> I know. That's once once you get past the Ozolith, then you're like. Right. But you Maybe. know, if the they ever unban is... walking ballista, then then we got something going. I dream about it every night. As we get closer and closer to a ban announcement not happening, I just <laughs> it's gonna yeah. happen soon. I mean, it's good with hanger backwalker, but the deck the isn't Ozolith. good. <laughs> yes. But the deck isn't good until you have Walking Ballista. It just isn't. So Teething Wormlet, I, I love this card, but it did not make my list because I don't know where it's playable. Right. Other than cube. Make oh, the cube. man. It's so good. God, what an addition to green for the cube. Just like, yeah. oh, green actually gets to play with artifacts instead of just Viridian Shamaning them. Mm -hmm. uh, my number one is Haywire Might. One mana for a 1-1 one, one insect. When it dies, you gain two life. Green, sacrifice it. Exile target non-creature artifact or non-creature enchantment. It's just really cheap, really good. You get it with Urza Saga. You get it with Karn. You can get it with Karn. You know, the obvious things are it blows up good enchantments like Leyland Binding, Enigmatic Incarnation, Fires of Invention. Also, sometimes you get it with Karn when you're low on mana and just play it as a blocker and then they can't kill your Karn and then you gain two life and that's a nice addition. Uh, you can get it with your Urza Saga and kill their Urza Saga. It just does so many things. No, yeah, this card's great. It's the Caustic Caterpillar we've always wanted. Yes. Uh, I've seen Caustic Caterpillar in a lot of lists. And this card is not strictly better, but it's basically better. Uh, you can't uh, kill like Urza Saga tokens on it. That's it. It's also the first playable insect to mill with Grist. So... There, the there second, you go. The second playable insect. Well, the first one is another Grist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Though, I don't know. If this card is your, like, one of in a Grist deck, you do not want to mill it. Are we, I mean, I don't know. We're playing some, like, Grist Urza Saga deck that's, like, heavy on these or something like that. If we're starting a deck list with, like, four Grist, four Urza Saga, four Haywire Might, we have... We've gone to too doctor. deep. Yes. <laughs> All right, my number five is a weird one. It's Simeon Simulacrum. Mm. This is a three mana two one uh, artifact creature ape. It does not look like an ape at all in the art. I don't know why it's an ape. It looks like something from like Terminator. <laughs> it looks like a, a Hork Bajir from Animorphs. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I mean, I know somebody's going to at me about this comment now. Like, <laughs> and that'll make it somebody, all worth it. Somebody else is going to remember Animorphs. I, I, well, I know what Animorphs is. I just do not know the thing you referenced. Is that the, the alien? The, the, the alien aliens thing? that are, like, covered in knives is the whole thing. That's the type of alien they are is they, they're, they're all knives. The knife alien. Okay. Yeah. What a way to live. Mm-hmm. It's the text of this card. <laughs> sure. Whatever. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you put two plus one plus one counters on target creature you control. Uh, and this is a three mana two one, and it can target itself, so it can be a four three if you want it to be. It also has unearth two GG. I kind of like this as like an add to the board card. Mm -hmm. uh, it gives haste damage in a way that works with green in kind of two different ways. You, you yeah. can you know put the counters on a different creature, and you also have that unearth thing later in the game where you can actually get a lot of damage to just not sneak in. I don't know where that is going to take place. And it kind of, 
whenever I see cards like this, I always go to hardened scales types effects, and those are never in the format, which sucks. But no, but I, this is great in like a standard teething wormlet deck. You know, if you can just like make your creature base like heavy on artifact creatures and just kind of play this straight up, like that's a start to a, a standard deck. Yeah, and then you can play the prototype golem too, because that's a two drop mm -hmm. uh, and, and such. But I, this is my number five, so it's not breaking any right, right, right banks. But I do like this kind of green artifact centric card. So if you have synergies in your deck with artifacts, it works with those, and it just provides damage, haste damage. Yeah. It, it's just like a, a good card at pushing and gives you some value. And when they deal with it, like it's ready to go do something again in a longer game. Yeah, I think it's like pretty efficient and, and pretty strong. My number four is Audacity. So yeah, that's the ranker that draw a card. And number three, I cheated. I, I try not to put reprints on the lists, but <laughs> Fauna Shaman was too much for me to get away from. <laughs> Uh, Fauna Shaman's like a creature with Survival of the Fittest stapled onto it. Uh, I didn't know where to put this card, but then I saw a Pioneer deck list this weekend that put it in the Grinning Ignis deck, and I thought that oh. was a really good place for it. That's cute. Because that is a deck that is filled to the brim with absolute garbage creatures you never want to draw in the game. <laughs> right, but put them together in exactly the right combination. And you win the game. And you win the game. Which is kind of the appeal of the deck. Uh, that person only played one Fauna Shaman in their list, and they started the <laughs> tournament out 9-0, uh, just like as an aside. Yes. That I was be, a surprise. I did see that. I would be interested in seeing a deck list that leans a little heavier into Fauna Shaman, because one of the worst parts about playing the deck is when you just keep drawing Llanowar Elves, and you do not have a Hazardous Monument in play, because they are just... Every draw step is like a time walk for your opponent. They just you do nothing. Yeah. I, yes, I would love ways to fix that. That would make me actually, you know, consider playing that deck. I think that Fauna Shaman has very serious problems in Pioneer in that it dies to... It's a 2-2. Two -two. It's a 2-2. Two -two. It dies to Stomp. It dies to all the one mana removal, fatal push, uh, fiery impulse. Like, you know, you're very likely to get time walked by playing it. And that's so that's a problem. I I think that point's valid, but I don't think it matters as much in the Grinning Ignis deck because Grinning Ignis also dies to Stomp, and you would way right. rather have Fauna Shaman die to it. <laughs> well, Grinning Ignis, if you're comboing, never they never have an opportunity to stomp it. The cost returns it to your hand. Wait, really? You never get to kill the Grinning Ignis if they're going off. Yes, you're right, you're right. But usually they stomp it before that happens. <laughs> well, usually people are really bad at playing their Grinning Ignis deck is the, the problem. <laughs> Sure, but I mean, if you see a Grinning Ignis in play, you're just going to target a stomp on it, right? Yes, but you don't put your Grinning Ignis in play generally. That is fair, yeah. But if it's not a stomp specifically, mm -hmm. uh, having more relevant creatures to get obliterating bolted that isn't like Birchy, for instance, sure. is also yeah. good. Like, yep, yep. I, I hate playing this deck where I just keep trying Leto or Elves or the second or third perspective innkeepers and i don't want to do it it's too it's too hard on the soul if you don't have a the red phyrexian in play they just it's rough right the deck is basically like none of my cards matter until they all matter and you have to put together very specific sets of creatures and yeah it's very possible to just draw combinations of creatures that don't do anything so yeah i i think that fauna shaman makes a lot of sense in a deck like that 
and is another creature that they actually have to kill instead of just sitting there like, I'm going to wait for the Burgie or the Steamkin or the Phyrexian guy because, like, none of your Lanoir elves or Prosperous Innkeepers or whatever actually matter until you have one of those things. Yeah, so that's, that's enough about Fauna Shaman. It, it's just sure. kind of does what it does. I don't, I don't know of another place to put it specifically in the formats right now, but it is a cool card. <laughs> yes. Waiting for that Vengevine reprint. Let's go. Vengevine belongs in Pioneer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> number two is fade from history this is a fracturing gust kind of two gg sorcery each player controls an artifact or enchantment makes a two two bear uh, and then you destroy all artifacts and enchantments this is just kind of a good effect uh the only thing that really does this i mean in pioneer there's nothing that does this at this cost like at all even right. close uh, and if something like the Boggles deck gets out of hand, I think Return to Nature is actually in Pioneer, right? It is, yeah. Yeah, so that's an option there. But if something is boggling and there's an Artifact Synergy deck, this is the card that you could turn to. Uh, it's just, I think, a, a good sideboard card. I've lost a Fracturing Ghost more times than I could count, and it's annoying that there's now a four-mana version. That granted gives me a bear, I guess, but who cares? <laughs> I So I actually think that people are going to die to that bear a lot more than they, you know, they look at it and it's like, ah, they get a bear, but I've killed all. But like that bear is attacking you the next turn. And if you were under pressure from, if their artifact deck was damage-based, I, I feel like more people are going to die to that bear than, than think they will. But it's so cute on the card. They're all bear cubs, you know? Mm -hmm. How could you possibly die to it? Well, bears, you see, have six-inch claws and maul you. So, you know, that's how. I don't know. I've never been mauled by a bear. <laughs> I mean, same. I'd like to keep it that way. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think this is a pretty good option, especially if, like, there's a simultaneously, like, a Boggles deck and an Anvil deck in the format, then it, this is a really nice sideboard option to have. Uh, it is back to nature return to nature is like the naturalized plus back Defensive. to nature is destroy all enchantments okay i the the same words <laughs> yeah, yeah well back to return how dare you <laughs> yes <laughs> uh and my number one is haywire might for the reasons yep. above it's cards, cards too good multicolor and such is the name of the next category <laughs> yeah i have an honorable mention in this one actually Mm -hmm. uh, it is Urza, Prince of Krug. This is the four-mana rare Urza. That's a 2-3 and blue-white. There's and so many Urzas. It gives artifact creatures plus two, plus two. It's a Tempered Steel. Sure. I just like Tempered Steel, and I think it would be really cool if there would be a Pioneer deck that could top out at Urza, pumping your entire team, and just smacking it for a bunch. I think that would be cool. Yeah, I don't I think agree. it's super likely currently, but you know, I hope it happens. That's all I've really got to say about Urza. <laughs> sure. It is a four mana gold card. <laughs> My number five is the Might Stone and the Weak Stone. Sorry, just the Might Stone and Weak Stone. The Weak Stone does not get a title. Mm -hmm. It's a legendary artifact power stone. When it enters the battlefield, you choose one. Either draw two cards or target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. Uh, and then it has the power stone ability, but doubled. So tap it, add two mana, can't be spent to cast non-artifact non spells. And it's half of the Urza meld card, but the Urza is unplayable, so we're not going to worry about it. This is a really good card with Karn. <laughs> it is extremely good with Karn. It taps to activate Nick those. 
yeah that that's the absurd part to me i'm quite tired of nykthos but even in the weirder card decks you see in modern i think this is still a good pickup uh, because there are there are better there are ways to draw cards but not not attached to a removal spell and having sideboard slot equity in your wishboard decks right you can't play 15 artifacts in your modern card and sideboard so yeah it's it's really important and this is a quite a unique card for car as far as card is concerned i don't really see it seeing any play outside of karn decks but in karn i think it's quite good yep um interestingly i think that it is correct to sideboard your might stone and weak stone in against phoenix as mono green so you know give that a shot it's just better to draw it to kill their thing in the ice than like have to try to carn for it to kill their thing in the ice. That doesn't really work out. And usually it's an awoken horror. Right. Or you spell pierce it or what have you. Yeah, and I mean carn with mana to cast a big thing, like you have several things you can do. Like your real goal is like God Pharaoh statue or whatever. So, you know, this is a uh probably not a stop you're taking along the way, but drawing it is very good because you can cast it on turn three to kill their their thing in the ice. My number four is the Sahili in the set. Sahili Filigree Master. Uh, two of you are three loyalty planeswalker, legendary Sahili. Uh, plus one, scry one. You can tap an untapped artifact you control. If you do, draw a card. Minus two, make two Thopters with flying, and they gain haste. Two one one Thopters. There are cards in the set, I guess, that make O twos, but this <laughs> is, these are one ones. Uh, and minus four is you get an emblem with artifact creatures you control with plus plus one and artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. I really enjoy the Sahili. <laughs> this is a four mana planeswalker that it feels like in a deck that it works in does the work of a five mana planeswalker. So it, it seems really good. It also has the good stat line. Like I think you obviously need synergy in, in order for this planeswalker to be playable because you don't want to play four mana make two thopters uh scry yeah <laughs> like what do i good. what do i do with these yeah <laughs> but like scry tap a thopter like I mean, you could do that but you really want to be doing other things <laughs> like you want to use those thopters to defend Sahili while you could draw cards and the yeah. uh, the ability to go plus one scry draw into next turn emblem and be able to have artifact creatures in play and your artifact spells be cheaper i think is what really makes this card desirable to me Mm -hmm. uh, so i hope that there is a place for sahili in the standard format i don't know if it'll see play in pioneer four mana is a lot and there are a lot of good cards in blue already even in the the artifact based shenanigans which are generally very cheap in curve like a insole artifact and such so i don't i don't think it'll quite have a place there and this type of card is tough to find a spot for in a format where like mono green exists it, yeah of course you know, you're just like looking at it and you're like okay if i'm playing artifacts the only way that this deck makes any sense in that context is if i'm like a shrapnel blast based deck which is kind of doing a different thing from this so i think that the format needs to change in order for like an artifact value planeswalker to make sense but if it does then it could i'm more interested in like exploiting this in standard this seems like a really cool standard card i do think it's quite solid and standard especially with uh, third path iconoclast which i will talk about later my number three is portal to phyrexia a card i was really low on initially but 
you kind of helped me out with. This mm-hmm. is a nine mana artifact. Yeah, we're not cast in this one. When in Portal Phyrexia enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices three creatures. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control, and it is a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. This, yeah, we're, we are not casting this card, and it's got a huge effect. <laughs> we are cheating us to play somehow, and Jin just kind of riding it to victory. The, the each player sacrifices three creatures line goes a long way towards stabilizing, because usually in decks that try to cheat stuff like this out, you fall behind in board, because you're just using your mana to do other stuff yeah and being able to your payoff being that's why archon of cruelty is so good right when you put it into play it gets rid of some of their stuff mm-hmm. this gets rid of a lot of their stuff <laughs> <laughs> usually all of this it could say they sacrifice all their creatures and most games that would be the same text and then you just start putting them onto the battlefield sounds like a great way to win the game mm-hmm. the trick is figuring out what best does it uh it could be refurbish or uh the white invoke spell that's a those are some cheap white options that are pioneer legal mm-hmm. uh, you could try to <laughs> use a uh, indomitable creativity that's a little trickier because you cannot include creatures or artifacts in your deck right <laughs> so i'm mainly looking towards the refurbish angle if this yeah. is what my my goal is trash for treasure in formats where that's legal sure that's, that's a little harder because that's modern, and I don't right. think modern is quite kind enough to allow Portal to Phyrexia to, to dominate. Yes. In uh, Historic, Trash for Treasure and Goblin Engineer are both legal, and I Ooh. suspect that that's a thing. That is, that is cool, too, because you can also just do Dragon Engine shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't view Historic as a thing that exists. That's fair. I actually enjoy it from time to time so especially like with this stuff entering i will be trying to do some of this nonsense in it dabbling in it okay that's cool i hope it works out for you because it does seem very fun it's something i would like to do and that's the only thing like i just play it for fun like i will just hop into games so that i can how do this dare stuff. you <laughs> yes <laughs> unbelievable but so my entire goal whenever i play historic is take a deck figure it out get it close to right and then hit mythic with it so I can make a deckless post. And that that's all. Like some something goofy with some nine mana card or whatever in it. So then I can just be like, hey, like this is playable. I made mythic with it. You might have fun with it. Here's a weird deck list at Fire Shoes made mythic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those tweets get far more engagement than almost any other magic related tweet that I make. So just like a weird deck that you hit mythic with is like the perfect way to give people something fun to do. So mm-hmm. Uh, my number two is Cityscape Leveler. This is a gigantic creature. It's an 8-mana eight 8-8 eight, eight with Trample. It's an artifact creature construct. When you cast it, and whenever it attacks, destroy up to one target non-land permanent. Its controller creates a tapped Power Stone token. And it has Unearth 8. If you've played Pioneer, you already know about this card's existence. It took Meteor Golem's spot in the Mono Green sideboard because it's gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> And it does it so often. It also has the weird synergy with Karn where uh, we've talked about it before. If you unearth it, it goes away. It gets exiled in a turn. And then you can pick it back up with the Karn if you so choose, if that's how you're winning the game. Yeah, it's I mean, big. at that point, you could be getting anything with Karn and you probably are fine. But uh, Yeah, because you've sure. devastated. You've devastated their, their battlefield. Yeah, this card's really good. It takes a slot 
that was already in the deck makes it better. And also there's games where you just like, oh no, I'm not untapping with this Karn. I guess I'll minus it and get this cityscape <laughs> leveler. <an> <laughs> And then I'll just kill you with this cityscape leveler. Like, Rakdos can't beat that plan. It kills their best permanent, and they can't allow you to attack with it. If you ever attack with this card, it's over. Yep. It, yep. It's pretty big. It's pretty real. Uh, and my number one is Third Path of Conclast. This took the number one spot over cityscape leveler because I sure. like it more. Young Pyromancer, <laughs> this... but but different. Yes. The artifact Young Pyromancer. It's Third Path of Conclast. It's a blue-red 2-1 human monk. Uh, so no wizard synergy like Pyromancer. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one color soldier artifact creature token. So this works with all the things Young Pyromancer works with, plus Planeswalkers, Enchantments, and Artifacts. Artifacts, you say? Artifacts, indeed. Hmm. That seems like the one that matters out of those three. <laughs> yeah, in addition to the Instant Sorcery. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is kind of what I was referencing to Sahili. This is one of the good cards in Blue-Red that encourages you to just play Artifacts. Mm-hmm. Play an Artifact, make an Artifact creature token. Sahili uses the tokens and makes them all better. It's a it's a good union. Yep. Uh, and it's just generically good. Like It's not just straight better than Young Pyromancer in a lot of situations because of color hosing uh mystical dispute is a card <laughs> everything volley is a card right but yeah wild but yeah it's by, by the other you know other side of that is if your opponent is playing brave the elements then your colorless soldier artifact creature tokens are better than red elementals but i think that you know if you're playing phoenix and you're sideboarding one of these you probably want pyromancer so it doesn't get mystical disputed right so Phoenix aside, I think it's just going to be a good value card, especially that it's legal and standard because you can, you know, do stuff with it and hopefully mm-hmm. it's Healy. I think that'd be cool. Yep. Uh, also think it's potentially relevant in Breach, you know, triggers off of all of your stuff, including Underworld Breach itself and makes any like medium sized Breach create a lot of tokens. And then it just is has a lot of synergy with like grinding station plans and stuff. I think it could be a powerful kind of sideways move in those decks it's extremely strong in multiples with uh with mm. grinding station which is weird but that's how it works <laughs> yep yeah so i think this card is really good and is going to do a lot of stuff the fact that it triggers off of artifacts and then makes artifacts just kind of nests synergies into it that are going to be really powerful and a lot of different stuff it really makes me curse Watsy for their foresight of making paradoxical outcome be unable to hit tokens <laughs> yes <laughs> Uh, my list is very close to yours. Oh, really? Mine, I think there are a lot of like pretty cool cards you could have picked from. I, I picked the two blue-red cards that are that we like, and then I picked three artifacts that went have already seen play in like 100% of mono-green sideboards. So, you know, that's just so that what happened. Stone Cityscape Leveler. What's the last one? Uh, the Stone Brain. The, oh, the Stone Brain. See, that one was a little too limited for me in scope. Yeah. I, I just think that it goes in so many card sideboards that it just will see more play than most of the cards in this set. No, that, that. yeah, that, that's completely reasonable. I can't fault you for that. It, I mean, it's seen play. Yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you get to play it as your win condition, so you don't have to have a Reckoner Bankbuster if you don't want. You know, it just does the thing. Uh, but yeah, that my that's that's my list, the same as yours, just in a slightly different order, but it doesn't really matter. No, numbers are made up. Everyone knows that. The old mathematicians were just very skilled at convincing us all that they mattered. 
But for this, nah, it doesn't matter what order things go in. That's crazy. Yeah. I So how do you think about this set? I know we're just like a, a week into it, but what's your what's your set vibes? What cards do you, do you like the most? Yeah, I mean, there are a handful of cards that I am excited about. And I think that there's just... I think the existence of Bitter Ordeal is just really cool. It's like, here's this common enabler thing. Bitter that Reunion. Once, or, bitter Reunion, sorry. A bitter Ordeal, bitter ordeal is, is the Gravestorm card. Yes. <laughs> bitter Reunion, I think, is just... like It's a common card that like makes sense in the set as a common. And then you start thinking about it more. And you're like, oh, wow, this card does so many things. And I think there's a handful of cards like that. And you only need a few cards like that in a set to have like significant impact over time and get you excited to to try some new things um and there are a few cards like that so that's kind of good enough for me yeah i i like the set because i love prototype i think it's such a cool mechanic i'm really Mm -hmm. glad they did it i like a lot of what it does yeah and honestly that's enough for me like the flavor is pretty cool the brothers War was one of my favorite things when i was younger and read magic novels mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of a neat nostalgia trip for that so i i just enjoy it yeah i would like to see how the limited plays out i'd like to see how many of these cards like actually function the way we're kind of hoping they are you know can't really make any calls yet but this is a set that i look at the cards and i'm like yeah i would like to play with these this seems fun to me and i'm excited now that i've been released from my if you're going to play Magic, you should probably be playing Pioneer. I'm released from that. I can play Limited. I can play Historic if I feel like it without having that like guilt in the back of my mind. feel like it's really good timing for that because I want to play with these cards. Well, at some point, you have to look up RCQ dates and you know see what the next one local is. Yeah, I'm kind of like off Anaheim, so I'm not like super concerned about that right now. Okay. I can't. It's, it's San Diego. I was informed recently. I don't know if that move is a needle for you, any, but I mean, San Diego is, I actually kind of love San Diego. San Diego is one of my favorite cities in the country, but it's more the like flying to California part of it. Yeah, it's, it's in California. I get it. (laughs) It is about the furthest state from us as possible. That isn't Alaska or Hawaii. At the same time, I kind of have to get over that if I'm going to like try to go to most RCs because it's going to be there every year probably is how this works out. So Mm -hmm. I know there's an RCQ on the 10th near us. I do not remember exactly where it is, but I know it's local. Well, you know, I'll be going to that. I think it's Atomic, actually. Oh, I'll definitely be going to that then. Modern modern deck. Yeah, well, you know, I will probably register the exact same 75 that I qualified for this this past regionals with, so. But Modern has changed so much. Yorion has been banned. Uh, And yet, all the same cards are the cards that are seen in play. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, modern cards are good, huh? The the good cards are a lot better than the rest of the cards. So, this is a side note because I'm done talking about modern. But have you ever played like you you played Wordle and stuff? You know what it is. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done any Enchant Wordle? I've done a little one? bit of Enchant Wordle, yeah. So one of my least favorite things about Enchant Wordle is that there's only one right answer. But sometimes there are two cards in a set that fill the exact same metrics, like to ah. the T. And I don't like that. This <laughs> this one in particular was I I would have gotten it in four, but I got, ended up getting it in five. 
because I narrowed it down to three mana rare instant from Modern Horizons, which is, of mm-hmm. course, Force of Negation. Yep. But it, it was Archmage's turn. Ah. Okay. <laughs> and I was just like, come on. <laughs> I'll get you. I, I generally don't find spending my time playing those games to be very fun. So, <laughs> Well, I do. Well, then keep doing it, and I'll do no, other stuff. I can't. You'll judge me now. Play historic instead. Oh yeah, okay. We can we can take turns. <laughs> All right, are we done? Yeah, I think we're done. That's like two hours. That's great. Perfect. Oh wow, that was two hours. Some of that was just us, you know, being silly at the beginning, though. Yeah, I mean this this uploaded episode won't be quite two hours, but I do have some editing in front of me tomorrow. Oh, you're just gonna do it all tomorrow? Try to. I mean, it's I don't have work. Thanksgiving tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know. I do. I have to bake a sweet potato souffle, so I got to do that first. But probably get at least some editing in. Get your editing software in the kitchen with you. <laughs> Baking is not super intensive once you sh- shove it in the oven. Right. My office is right off of the kitchen, so you know it's fine. All right. Thanks everybody so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye.